Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Jeff Drake from the Joneses, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. History in five songs with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff here. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this fast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, uh, and over 40 other podcast platforms. Got to mention as well, Rockin' Pod is coming up uh, in Nashville, and I'm debating whether to go down to that or not. It's a, it's a long ways to go. Uh, I don't think I'd fly. I think I'd drive. I don't know. But yeah, a bunch of the Pantheon uh, crew will be there, and uh, there's going to be all sorts of uh, you know cool rock stars there as well, and uh, and just discussions about podcasting and different podcasters doing stuff live. So that's Rockin' Pod uh, coming up. I think it's March. Uh, March 23rd or so. Uh, anyways, that weekend up there uh, in Nashville. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to figure out whether we're going to go to that or not, I suppose. Um, yeah, so this is episode 188. Um, this is I'm calling this third album New Band. Now, obviously, we just did second album New Band, and I promise I'm not going to make a habit of this, uh, but I just thought there were some compelling examples that I wanted to talk about this way. We're not going to be doing fourth album New Band. Um, but, yeah, I, I had some good examples, and, uh, you know, I guess what is the use of this? It, it's kind of like, uh, you know, answering the question why why do bands do this um I've got this into categories, but of course, uh, you know, why bands do this and why we had the last episode where a band, uh, you know, changed this, by the way, this is about changing genres, uh, after, after one album on the Facebook page, we had someone mention, oh, I thought it was going to be about band members changing, but, uh, maybe there's a, maybe there's something in that at some point, but, um, no. So the idea here is obviously, um, you know, a band comes in, uh, in, in a lot of cases here, a band comes in as sort of a genre is ending um but as opposed to last episode where the genre is ending soon uh here the genre is ending uh, a year or two later so it, it turns out you know and i suppose there's some opportunism in here but essentially um maybe even after two albums and getting a change you see even more deliberate opportunism i suppose because here you are um two albums in a certain genre and then you switch genres completely and usually like I say it's because of the shifting winds of uh, of uh, you know what is uh, popular in in rock and roll so uh so yeah so this so this is bands that make two albums and then they essentially change genre after that second album hence the title third album new band let's take a listen to our first selection here and we shall discuss this is Pink Floyd with Corporal Clegg
right. Brings up fun memories of, uh, you know, Nick Mason's uh, Saucer Full of Secrets coming through town here in Toronto. Big, big uh, American tour, European tour. Pantheon was the uh, sponsor of that whole thing. They put on a great show. So this is from um, that second album. Saucer Full of Secrets. Uh, so this came out, uh, or A Saucer Full of Secrets. This followed up uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And uh, and so, yeah, June 28th, 1968. So what happens here is, um, you know, Sid Barrett is uh, slowly being eased out of the band. He does appear on this album, a little bit of vocal, a little bit of other stuff. But essentially, David Gilmore comes in and he's taking over. And, um, and this is the last of the band's two psychedelic albums you might say um they come back with more which is sort of a quasi pink floyd album it's sort of a soundtrack album june 13th and 16 uh 1969 but of course by this time they are changing into what are they changing into a prog band it's pretty weird i mean it's it's almost like it's still a grab bag um but the psych elements are going down or the psych elements are getting more extreme so that means uh we have sort of this replacement for psych called prog um Progressive rock, art rock, acid rock, underground music, whatever you want to call it. Um, but basically, Pink Floyd go into a pretty oddball direction for a long, long time, and uh, and do okay with it. They keep going. They, you know, they're still on EMI. They still got their record deal. It's not really until Metal and Dark Side of the Moon that things really turn around for them and turn around for them in a big way. But essentially. Um, this is a band that is uh, is more or less their identity is pretty much the marquee English psych band um, over the course of those two albums, and it is because of um, Sid Barrett. I mean, Sid Barrett, you know, dominates the first album, and he's almost gone on the second album, and and then he would be uh, be gone. But yeah, totally psychedelic album cover art, um, and then you know, frankly, the more cover art. Uh, it seems kind of like rushed and you know hastily put together, but it's pretty psychedelic as well. But I mean, you basically don't get a more psychedelic uh, couple of cover arts than you do on those first uh, couple of Pink Floyd albums. Now, this category is essentially um, you know category two progressive rock from something, and I think another one that definitely qualifies here is yes. I've always felt that there's a demarcation point between the first two Yes albums. So you got Yes and you've got Time in a Word. It's the Peter Banks era of the band, right? So they're they're kind of like a poppy, melodic Canterbury version of a psych band. They're just they're like a really professional psych band. So this is almost like it's almost like a hair metal band coming in in 91, 92, 93 and doing a really, really good job of this expiring genre. Yes is kind of doing that with psych. They're they're making really, really good psych albums essentially at this point. Um but uh but they transition over to uh the Yes album and um and and the Yes album uh you know brings in Steve Howe and the Yes album despite that horrible horrible album cover art um is an absolute progressive rock classic it's one of the very first i suppose you would say um uh prog rock classics um you know it's quickly followed up by close to the edge which is considered the greatest prog album of all time but yeah so the significant thing is is uh, peter banks is out steve howe is in and uh, and they make this transition uh so it's so it's yes july 25th 69 um time in a word july 24th 70 uh, uh this album is um 
February 19th, 1971. So third album for them. Um, so yeah, that's your prog. Uh, that's kind of your prog category here. Let's take a listen to our second track here on History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is Blue Cheer with West Coast Child of Sunshine. West Coast Child of Sunshine. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right. So the category here is... uh, Gee, I guess there's no money in hard rock or metal. Let's uh, let's do something else. Let's go pop kind of thing. Uh, but a very old version of it. So this is long, long time ago. So essentially, um, this is this is from the third Blue Cheer album. So this is called New Improved. New exclamation mark, improved exclamation mark. And it is none of that. Um, because I think the previous album, Outside Inside, is a really unsung album in the history of heavy metal. I think it's a it's a pretty darn uh, you know uh, forceful uh, semi modern uh, update, especially for being like a late 1968 album. This is a long time ago, right? So Vince Abyss Eruptum gets all the glory. Um, that's early 68, and then Outside Inside is the first. Uh, 
Well, not for I. I would just say it's uh, there's more songwriting. There's less covers. It's just well, you know, well put together. I think even the heavy songs on it uh, are are a little more modern. I think that album really deserves a lot more credit. Um, but yeah, what they do is um, they essentially. So what happens is 1969 rolls around. Uh, they do this new improved album, which is kind of a mess because it's uh, it's a mix of a couple of lineups. Um, uh, Dickie Peterson, Paul Whaley. I've interviewed both those guys, and it's it's just it's so weird, bizarre to think both of them are gone. Um, but Bruce Stevens is replacing Lay Stevens. No relation. They even spell their name differently. And um, and uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, different Stevens. And then um, uh, the second lineup is uh, is Randy Holden, who I have also interviewed. I talked to him about Population Two. Really interesting guy. Lots of stuff about sound and sound waves going into the head and stuff. It was a bizarre interview. Um, but essentially. Um, this is kind of like a so it's a dog's breakfast of people and it's and and they've essentially left uh, the whole hard rock heavy metal thing and then they actually do uh, two more uh, three more albums actually uh, in this era and uh, they're they're rare people don't you know they weren't widely distributed people don't know them well but basically all that notoriety they had built up from Vincibum uh, Vincibus eruptum you know with that heavy version of summertime blues on it and doctor 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 please or whatever it's called um and then like i say outside inside being pretty heavy so they do the two heavy albums so then they have new improved early 69 blue cheer very confusingly uh late 69 uh the original human being 1970 and o exclamation mark pleasant hope 1971 wow that's a lot of records right one two three four five so so six albums in that run from 68 to 71 uh and then of course they kind of came back later with the beast is back 84 highlights and low life um 1990 blah 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 um yeah, a couple more. What do we got here? Uh, Di- Dining with Sharks, 91. What Doesn't Kill You, 2007. Um, but, uh, you, know, not, you know, at that point, strange lineup, strange recordings, kind of being heavy, trying to live off, you know, the heaviness, the volume, right? They were big volume guys all the time. Um, but, yeah, a couple others in this uh, in this um, category. Much later in time, we've got Tease, one of my favorite Canadian bands. They had two heavy albums, legendary albums. People love them, Tease, and On the Loose, 76 and 77. But then they went um, poppy for the last couple. Um, you know, they were kind of told, like, hey, you need a direction change. This hard rock stuff ain't making it. Kind of, kind of had a point at that point. That was this weird year. Um, I don't know. Have I done an episode on that? I, I find that whole 78, 79 period fascinating because of this. But essentially they had um, One Night Stands and Body Shops. That's all they made is the is the two more records. So they got two heavy records and two not heavy records. Um, and Bang is another one. We always talk about Bang, don't we? So so their whole situation was that they had Bang in, uh, in 1972, uh, early 72, and then they had Mother Slash Bow to the King, one of those famous double album titles, and that was a pretty heavy album. So these are legendary proto-metal albums at the time. Ah, I think they're, you know my opinion, they're a little overrated. Um, but uh, then, so they had those two albums in the proto-heavy metal uh, genre, and then they switched genres completely for an album stupidly called Music. Uh, so, so it's bang music, I suppose. Uh, so that was, uh, 1973. So all this stuff was on Capitol. Um, and then they came back later and then they had the re-release of the early thing, death of a country and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Uh, but essentially 
you know what what anybody remembers about bang is like oh first two albums pretty good boy did they really pooch it on that on that music album um so there you go uh all right this uh this episode of history and five songs with martin popoff is sponsored by BetterHelp. without a healthy mind being truly happy and at peace is hard the good news is therapy works but what is therapy exactly it's whatever you want it to be maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work not dealing well with stress whatever you need it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy and now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help better help is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to it's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about it's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset and special offer to history and five songs with martin popoff listeners you can get 10 percent off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash five songs that's better h-e-l-p.com slash five songs thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode i wanted to add though um i do have this testimonial that i've mentioned uh, uh before um that says, I want to once again give you feedback on your sponsor, BetterHelp. The therapy I have received the last month has been better than any uh, I have encountered over the last 30 years. You have a quality, life-changing sponsor. Very cool. All right. Let's move on with our third selection here in uh, this episode 188 that we're calling Third Album New Band. Take a listen to this. This is Thin Lizzy with Gonna Creep Up On You. Upset by the angle Scratch your bag and hot to handle I'm gonna creep up on ya I'm gonna creep up on ya Okay, so this is Thin Lizzy from Vagabonds of the Western World, September 21st, 1973. Um, now, the reason uh, this, this basically, this album has always stuck in my head as the whole Dylan Goes Electric controversy. So essentially, um, Thin Lizzy had a couple of um, folky, quiet, moody, thoughtful albums, uh, you know, a little bit of William but- Butler uh, Yates in those first couple of Thin Lizzy albums. Um, and then Vagabonds of the Western World um, goes pretty heavy. It's uh, it's pretty rocky. It goes electric. Uh, the funny thing is this isn't the big sea change in the guitarist situation. This is still Eric Bell. It's his last album with the band. And then, uh, you know, soon they're going to, to discover the twin lead idea. Um you know Gary Moore and Brian Robertson and uh, and um, and uh, and Scott, um, but basically Scott Gorham. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, you know, so so this album, obviously, this song, this is my favorite song from the album. It's pretty heavy. Uh, so so here's an example of a band changing genres from being um, kind of yeah, kind of like a folk band in a way. I I, f- I feel. Um, which is odd to to think about, you know, with Phil's background and uh, and being, you know, part of Skid Row and all that, and, and being kind of a, you know, and obviously what Thin Lizzy became. Um, 
But yeah, I would say this is the first album that has Thin Lizzy joining the hard rock genre, I suppose. And and the other funny thing about it is the follow-up album, Nightlife, isn't particularly heavier than this. It doesn't happen really until Fighting that they get fairly heavy. But yeah, this this uh, this album definitely has some pretty heavy songs, Hero and the Madman and, uh, you know, The Rocker and all that. Um, it's definitely turned up, um, you know, and part of it is the subconscious visual of seeing the, the vast change in album covers. Those first two are very dour-looking, very you know bleached out and monochromatic and this is like a super poppy psychedelic um you know the first uh, jim fitzpatrick uh album art uh that we would get you know that cool animated or uh what, what do you call it Co- comic comic animated what's the word anyways image of of the band it's it's just such a huge difference it it also reminds me a little bit from uh from blue oyster cult moving from the black and white period you know through the live album through to agents of fortune it's kind kind of that feel to it i mean there's a there's a brightness and a songwriting focus that comes in here even though it's still the same three guys um but also in this category uh you know i wanted to mention um, so this is this is category of bands, I suppose, doing the opposite of of Bang and Blue Cheer and saying, oh, maybe there is some money in this hard rock thing. Maybe they're seeing Black Sabbath do well and Deep Purple and Heap and all that and, and saying, oh, there's something to this kind of thing. Um, so UFO uh, is certainly uh, this sort of band. So they have the British blues boom sort of period that they, you know, erroneously call their space rock period, I suppose, uh, with Mick Bolton. And they make uh, UFO and then UFO 2 Flying. And then they have that live album, but the the third album uh, is the is phenomenon when they get Michael Schenker in and they become more of a mainstream modern hard rock band. It's not a very heavy album, but obviously right after that it gets quite heavy with Force and No Heavy Petting. Um, but so UFO definitely so their blues boom I would say uh, blues boom to hard rock. Nazareth uh, is a bit of a cheat because their second album Exercises is really folky, but the first one you know if you went from Nazareth Nazareth to Razamanaz, uh, I, I probably would disqualify and say this is not a band who has changed genres. Um, so this is a bit of a cheat because they they kind of make this super experimental second album uh, and then they quickly, you know, realize the error of their ways and come back with this, you know, pretty crunching, vibrant, legendary hard rock album in, in Razamanaz. You know, Roger Glover is in producing. Um, and basically, uh, I think he's producing it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he's he's doing that one and Loud and Proud um, and Rampant and Doesn't Do Hair the Dog. Um, but essentially, so Nazareth goes from, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just say from their second album, they go from a folk band to a hard rock band. Uh, weirdly, MC5, which uh, I think I just had maybe as an honorable mention last episode. Um, but you could kind of say that they went from a retro, poppy, garage rock, 50s sort of band um, on their second album back in the USA to uh to a hard rock band um kind of like a hard psyche i don't know i mean high time is still pretty dated um and it's a bit of a cheat like the nazareth one because if i would have said kick out the jams to high time i would say that's not a genre change but i would say from back in the usa it is a genre change um a couple other super obvious ones are Alice Cooper uh, with that whole, you know, absurdist, psych, Frank Zappa-esque or, or Mother's Invention-esque, actually, uh, Pretties for You and Easy Action. Uh, and then the big demarcation, the big break to getting Bob Ezrin in and focusing the songs and making them sensible and having kind of a, you know, a modest bit of a hit record, maybe even more than modest with uh, Love It to Death. Um 
and then into Killer. So that's that's definitely a genre change. This is a band that went from psych to a form of uh, boy, what would you call it? I've I've been talking. We've been doing some Blue Oyster Cult stuff lately. Uh, more to come on that. Um, but um, you know, I always say that Blue Oyster Cult and uh, you know Black and White Period Blue Oyster Cult and this early Alice Cooper are are kind of they kind of sound the same, and they're the only two bands that sound like this. But um, so essentially, um, they become. They go from psych to what you would call a a proto heavy metal or proto hard rock, but it but really we're really stretching here because Alice Cooper is not a very heavy band, right? Um, and then the other one that I think uh, totally fits this is uh, Status Quo, who go from psych to British blues boom. Oddly enough, it's kind of weird. They go from pictures of matchstickable men, matchstickable pictures of the whatever Technicolor matchstickable. The first one to spare parts um, and spare parts. No one ever talks about spare parts, uh, but it's also kind of a psych album. Uh, but then they go over to uh, Ma Kelly's uh, Greasy Spoon. Yeah, picture picturesque matchstickable messages from the status quo there you go 1968 spare part 69 mock kelly's greasy spoon not particularly hard rock but yeah they they for some reason status quo jumps on the british blues boom thing um that's a really bizarre transition isn't it from psych to that and in 1970 when it's kind of ending um and then they do dog of two head which uh which is a similar sort of album and it's not really all that well received or loved in the catalog, but then they really kind of figure things out. Um, and they do pile driver. They're on to A and M or well, A and M over here. Anyways. Um, I guess it's vertigo. They're on in, in England, I believe still anyways, um, pile driver. Hello, quo on the level, man, blue for you rocking all over the world. I think that's, you know, most, most people would say that's their golden period. I love, I love quo. That's the one I really like, but pile driver got that as a kid, super early. I don't know if it was a new release, but pretty darn close. Um, and, uh, and that's when they figured it out where they were mixing still the British bloom boom stuff, but there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of heaviness in there too. A lot of good riffs. A lot of good heavy metal in there. So that that one definitely fits. Uh, let's move on to our fourth selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Skid Row with Remains to be Seen. All right, so last episode, um, as you recall, we did talk about the strange case of Slick Toxic and Sven Galley, two Toronto bands, well, Toronto and Hamilton, um, that went from hair metal to grunge, um, and I was just saving up. I knew there were there were some that went uh, went two albums in the hair metal genre, more or less. Ah, Skid Row, Sebastian Bach would argue with me about this one on um, Slave to the Grind. but So essentially, so Skid Row... Uh, what they do is they have this massive five times platinum self-titled debut, which is squarely in the hair metal category. And then they, uh, you know, did I talk about this last episode? Because I'm, I might have, because they did change genres sort of after one album. Slave to the Grind is more like a metal church Dio accept kind of album in totality, one would say. There's, there's a little bit of up-tempo thrashiness or whatever. But 
Uh, I would say, uh, you know, the big genre jump. Yeah, I think I did talk about them. The big genre jump uh, is really to this uh, this subhuman race album. It's quite a bit later, too. So we've got, uh, we're all the way up to March 28th of 1995. It's produced by Bob Rock. They go to Vancouver. So this is kind of a go to Vancouver and try harder album. But it's definitely a big, fat, grungy album. I love it. Um, most of the fans really, I think, now look back and love it simply because, you know, Sebastian Bach is going to be gone and we're going to have drama for the rest of their whole career. Um, but uh, but no, I, I think it's a really good album, but they did kind of go the grungy route. Um, so that's one. But another another couple of bands that did this, Winger. So Winger has a platinum album with their self-titled in 88. And then they have In the Heart of the Young, 1990. That goes platinum. And then they go to Pull. So they go to the Pull album, 93, which is you know, pretty grungy, total, total grunge front cover. It's got the standard grunge, you know, one word title. Um, you know, how grunge has all those song titles that are one word sort of thing. So again, we go back to the why. I mean, this is a situation where you've got a late period hair metal band. The hair metal thing just ain't selling. The label's going to tell you, you ain't going to have a deal. You aren't, you're not going to sell too many records. We're not going to promote it. You guys better change, get with the times, you know, and some of it is opportunistic. Like I'm, we're getting with the time because we got to eat or we want to make money and sometimes it's we're really excited about this new kind of music so so that kind of happens there um and danger danger similar thing 1989 self-titled screw it exclamation mark 1991 but then up into 95 so four years later they have this album called dawn where they go grunge total grunge album cover sort of thing there as well and hilariously almost the exact same timeline we've got shotgun messiah Swedish band, um, self-titled in 89 again, second coming in 91 again. So the exact same years. And then a little sooner with their third album, violent new breed in 93, where they do the same thing. So they, they kind of go grunge. So there's your, there's your category there. Uh, this is hair metal to grunge. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not sure I mentioned this, but subhuman race did not even certify. And I know back then we were just Tim Anderson and myself and the buddies, uh, Aaron small, Mark Roman, we were starting up brave words and bloody knuckles at that time. And, um, basically we all remember how heavily promoted it was and how the big debate was about all this and it was still on a major label kind of thing um so yeah it was much talked about that album it was a long anticipated you know here's a huge band right five times platinum double platinum taking all this time to put out this new album it was a pretty big news story right um but yeah pretty good album anyway so all right let's move on to our last selection here take a listen to this this is the meat puppets uh, or just meat puppets with up on the sun Okay, so the category here is just kind of various. It's a bit of a grab bag, but Meat Puppets always struck me as a hilarious case. Um, they had this really loose and screamy and noisy sort of punky sound uh, with their debut in 82. Then they had Meat Puppets 2 in 84. Still, like just totally chaotic punk rock album cover as well. Um, and this and this pretty noisy, hard-to-love sound. There were some weird kind of like country 
psychedelic country influences coming in, but you kind of didn't pay them any mind. You didn't know what was going to happen to them. And then boom, uh, they come up in 1984 with Up on the Sun, this lushly recorded, clean guitars, kind of like a weird, you know, Steely Dan would be pushing it too hard, but it's almost like mellow ZZ Top. It's almost like ZZ Top Tejas music. I just love it. So, so they did, uh, they, they did this. You can hear it in this, in this clip we did. So that's the title track from Up on the Sun, their 1984 third album. And, uh, love it to death. Uh, so cool. Uh, they're on SST and they don't sound anything like a punk band anymore like this entire album is this almost like smooth jazz version of zz top uh in a way hard hard to describe you can hear in there as well the uh the endearingly charming uh you know kind of out of key vocals as well but yeah so they did this they did this sound basically for up on the sun uh yeah sorry 85 84 they did this sound for mirage for sure huevos for sure so 87 87 Monsters is when it it kind of changed again. So they were actually getting some acclaim. People were loving this. I loved it too. I just thought they were like rock gods with this crazy esoteric psychedelic Tejas sound. You know Tejas is my favorite ZZ Top album, right? Um but um they got I I believe Monsters uh is when the major label deal came and all the hype came and they basically became kind of uh, hard to describe, but they lost the charm even though they got heavier. They put the distortion pedal on the guitars. They had better recordings. They kind of changed their sound again and became a little bit faceless, I, I think. Um, you know, I still like these albums. Um, you know, the, the big ones at the time were, yeah, Monsters 89, Forbidden Places 91, Too High to Die. I remember there was some hype around that, 1994, No Joke 95, and there's more after that. But, but that was their sort of period of... Um, uh, you know, let's finally cash in on the legend of our our, our alternative rock glory uh, at that time. But yeah, I would I would suggest uh, if you liked what you heard in that clip, um, basically they have three three albums of that: Up on the Sun, Mirage, and Huevos. Um, are are all very similar. No one's ever made music like that ever before or since. I mean, it's just such a singular, strange town uh, sound. Uh, but there you go. Meat Puppets is our number five there. Um, in this category again, a couple more are Saints. The Saints, you know, they had two of my favorite punk albums of all time. But then they went pretty acoustic and Celtic and dark with prehistoric sounds. I remember getting that album, you know, paying import prices for it. It looks super doomy and heavy and then just absolutely floored at how that band completely changed. And then they became a really good, like, Waterboys almost... Uh, you know, Celtic rock kind of band. It was really kind of neat what they went into. But yeah, they they just gave it up. Uh, the Clash, same sort of thing. The first two albums are pretty heavy and punky. Uh, the Clash and Give Them Enough Rope. And then you get to London Calling and they've completely become this uh, universal Americana history of uh, rock music sort of band. Um, you know, beautiful recording on London Calling, but just not punky at all. Nothing heavy on that. You know, waiting for the clamp down maybe is a little bit heavy or whatever. Death or Glory's got a little bit to it. Well, actually, not even that one. Um, so yeah, basically they changed after two albums. Demons, a weird one, uh, kind of fits in this category. Uh, they had these sort of poppy, strange, evil new wave of British heavy metal. Couple of you know first two albums, and then they went kind of to a progressive sort of pop sound. Um, 
And I just wanted to mention a few honorable mentions from last week um, that we we didn't get to. Uh, Scorpions, I almost put Scorpions in there. Hawkwind was one I could have put in there. This Now we're talking about did you change genres after one album. So did Scorpions change from Lonesome Crow to uh, f- uh, Fly to the Rainbow? Debatable. Um, Hawkwind, I think you could make a case for that as well. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? Um Tegan mentioned there were there were a few others in this category. Audrey Horn, Pyogenesis, who jumped off the Scandinavian, Scandinavian death metal doom ship and went directly to Happy California Skate Punk. Uh, <laughs> I, I interviewed those guys a few times during that time. I, I don't know if uh, I would go with that exactly. Um, let's see. Epitaph. Yeah, this is a good one. Band sounded like Wishbone Ash for a couple albums. Then they kind of went pomp and then they went early 80s with actual heavy metal. Mother's Finest, Tegan is mentioning, who jumped uh, between funky hard rock to pure 70s R&B to new wave of British heavy metal. Ah, I wouldn't wouldn't go with that either. Um, Tommy Sosa B mentions, in the land of the ex- of extreme metal, the first that comes to mind for me is Dark Throne. 1991's Soul Side Journey was better than the average. Swedish-inspired death metal album by 92, A Blaze in the Northern Sky. Most wouldn't even recognize them as a band from the previous years. They helped spearhead the second wave of black metal. Yeah, I kind of go with that one. Another big one that super, super fit in that first, like, last week episode of the changing genre after one album is Trapeze. That was one I, I feel like I missed. They, I think they totally uh, changed sound from the first album uh, to the second album. And uh, what else do we got here? Um... Oh yeah, another good one that I think fits well. Last episode is Captain Beyond, so they go from that kind of proto metal debut album, and then they have two albums that are kind of proggier uh, after that. Um, all right, uh, if you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi Rhymes with slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, this week, I would like to thank Joe Beck at Bel Air Expediting, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Lee Clifford, David Fisher. Andrew Meyer, Monty Olson, Augustin Garcia de Predis, Steve Polari, and David Ria. David, very generous. Take a break. Um, and um, yeah, there you go. Um, right now, the big news around here is uh, selling great guns is the Flaming Telepaths. Uh, uh, Imaginos expanded and specified reissue that just or it came in. Um, it's not. It's not. I didn't change anything. It's a. It's just put it back in print. And the Merciful Fate book is back in print. And uh, still, surprisingly, the Pink Floyd book is still doing well. The that's the Dark Side of the Moon. Fiftieth, uh, uh, yeah, fiftieth, yeah, fiftieth anniversary <laughs> of uh, Dark Side of the Moon. A whole book on just that. You know, hardcover and a slipcover. That whole thing. Go to martinpopoff.com. Uh, for that and all your other book needs, whatever's in print, um, PayPal buttons there for everything. I sign them, send them out from here. Um, there you go. Go play some of this stuff and uh, ponder why bands would change genres after two albums. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 